Well, good morning. It's uh, great to see you with us today. We will be in uh, Genesis chapter 12 again today. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis 12, and uh, we will not attempt a dozen chapters today or anything like that. So I think <laughs> we're only going to read a few. I appreciate it. I understand that. Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 again. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray. Father, as we have read in Your Word this morning about Abram and his call and his blessings and his journey, we read also that he paused and worshiped You in the land, building altars and calling upon Your name. And we call upon Your name this morning. We declare that You alone are God and there is none like You. There is no competitor. There may be in the hearts of men competitors. That often is the case, yet You are the one true God, our Creator, our Sustainer, and our Redeemer. And we have opened before us Your Word which you have communicated to us. We come to you in Jesus' name, by whom you have reconciled us to yourself. And we come to you in the power of the Holy Spirit, by whom you have applied to us this great redemption. And we pray also that by your Spirit you would speak to us this morning from your Word, that you would minister to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. With the call of Abraham, we have a shift in the narrative of Genesis. We're changing gears, we're moving on to a new discussion, and that's why we spent so much time last week looking at the entirety of the life of Abram to see uh, God's uh, shifting of gears. But if we think about where we have come and where we are going, to this point, the chapters that we've covered have been dealing with all of humanity. From the time of creation, the creation of man, and all that's gone on, uh, we've been dealing with all of humanity, with a particular emphasis on the fallenness and the sinfulness of humanity. That's been, in large portion, the first 11 chapters that we've looked at. With the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, all humanity fell. It wasn't just one couple. It was all of us. And then the sinfulness of all humanity in Noah's day led to the destruction of the whole world, with the exception of one family being spared by God's grace. And so 
We've been dealing with all of humanity. And then after that, the hubris of mankind on the plains of Shinar at Babel, when they decided that they were going to build a city and build a tower that would tame God and make Him accessible to them on their own terms, that hubris led to the confusion of languages and the scattering and the separation of all of mankind across all of the earth. So to this point, we've been dealing with all of humanity. But having spent those 11 chapters dealing with the whole of humanity, we come to the story of Abram. And God begins to deal with a particular group within the mass of all of humanity, and in this case, with a particular person, a particular man, Abram himself. And so the first 11 chapters have been broad in scope, and they've been focused largely upon the sinfulness of man and the consequences that fall to him. And now we begin to have a much more narrow focus on the person of Abram, and then it's going to be his family, as God begins to deal much more explicitly, redemptively in what he is doing. And so we see that particularly in the case of Abram, and that's why we have spent uh, time on him, and we will continue to spend so much time on him. And I want to point out, first of all, that he is called to go. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's one little verse. doesn't seem all that momentous. You can read right by it. It's the beginning of a chapter, and you can catch the idea that that, uh, we're beginning to deal with a new topic or whatnot. But, But there is a lot in that verse as, as we think about all that Abram is being asked to give up in making this change, what is he being asked to leave behind? These aren't small things. You know, I've, I've um, moved, we've moved a number of times in our lives and in our marriage. And in Chicago, we always seem to be downsizing every time we moved. And, uh, and we would purge. You know, you got all this stuff, right? And you leave behind stuff. And you think, oh, this picture or this book or this uh, item that was so important to me when I got it. Now it's like, well, when I compare it to everything else, you know, letting go of that thing is not a big deal. And so you do that time after time, and you military families know, or anyone who really has moved all that much, or maybe there might even be people who are disciplined and purge on purpose. I can't imagine such a people. But you just leave behind stuff, right? And it's, well, it's not a big deal, right? That's not the kind of stuff that Abram is being asked to leave behind. Not the, not the excess not the, you know, the extra books or the extra pictures or, uh, you know, the things that do not pulled out in a while. No, he's, he's being called to go from being one type of person to being another type of person. He's being called to leave behind major things. He's called to go, first of all, from being a pagan. We're told in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 2 that, that they worship false gods. So that's his background. Abram wasn't like this lone Christian guy in the midst of a pagan world. He fit in with the pagan world. And so there was idol worship in there. And so he's called from being a pagan to becoming a worshiper of the one true God. God is calling him to make a massive transition. And this is more than just changing his affiliation. It's more than just changing from one group to another group. You know, you move to a new town, and so you join a new group, or you uh, have certain changes in life. Maybe all your kids are gone, so you stop being a member of this kind of group and focus on a new one. No, we're talking about life change. He's leaving behind old beliefs, old paganism, and he's going to become a worshiper of the one true God. So that's a big, big thing to leave behind. And some of you who have become Christians later in life and uh, you were raised one way, or perhaps you didn't believe it when you were raised in it, and then you became a Christian, later on in life you realize how much of a change that is. It affects all the things you believe and value, how you relate to people, what you do, what you think about, what you support, all those big changes, and that's the kind of change that Abram was being asked to make. But secondly, he's being called to go from being settled in Haran to becoming a sojourner in a foreign land. There he was living in Haran. He was settled there, and he had come from Ur of the Chaldeans, as you read at the end of chapter 11, but then he settled in Haran, put down roots. 
right? He became a, a member of the local, you know, chamber of commerce or whatever. Like, he put down roots, okay? And he's being called by God to go from being settled in that place to now being a sojourner. Whereas you read about Amram, he's always moving. He's, he's packing up and moving again, whether it's because of famine or it's because of enemies here or searching for water or whatever it is, he's moving. He's always traveling. That's a big, big change. God is calling him also to go from being near family and things familiar to being nearly alone. That's a big change also. Some of you can identify with that. So when we read past verse 1, we need not to brush by it lightly. We need to think about the, what's being uh, said to Abram, what, is, what he's being called to do when it says go, go from the familiar, go from your country, go from your kindred, from your father's household, and to the land that I'll show you later. When we were moving to Russia, both times, we moved there back in 96, and then we moved there again in 2007, and both times, I wanted to know what city we were going to, and I wanted to read about that city, and, and I, I started reading the literature of the country, and I wanted to know about Russia. I wanted to know about their history. I wanted to know about what they thought about this and that and all those sorts of things, right? Because I knew where I was going, and I wanted to invest, and I wanted to learn, and, and we do that. When you go on vacation, if you're going to go to, to Europe or whatever, we went to, you know, Burundi, Stephen and I did just recently, and, and you start reading about Burundi and wondering about it. Well, that's because you know where you're going, and you have an interest in it. And here, the instruction is, go to a land, I'll fill in that part later. So you, you can't, even, can't even move in your mind, you're just leaving, right? And so, we can see that this was a, a great call uh, to Abram that would require some real faith, to leave behind all of those things. He had would have to do so for a big reason, and the reason was his faith. And what's, what's fascinating is, if, if we jump down just for a moment and, uh, and look at what happens in verses 4 and following. So the call in verse 1 is, go, go from here and all of this to a land I will show you, verse 4, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. I love that, so, so Abraham went. The Lord called, so Abraham went. You see his faith. You see his faith by looking at his actions. He, he up and moves. He doesn't just say, yes, Lord, I'll get to that sometime later. He doesn't obfuscate. He doesn't haggle with God. He doesn't do those things. The Lord says, do it, and he does it. And there's a point of doctrine and application here both on that topic. Faith results in obedience. Now, we're going to see with him not perfect obedience, and it doesn't result in perfect obedience in you either or me, but true faith, genuine faith results in obedience. Our faith will make itself known in our obedience. You can see it worked out, and we see that in the life of Abram. We see it worked out imperfectly, just like it's worked out imperfectly in your life and my life, but the, the faith is the root, and it shows itself in the obedience in lifestyle. And in the case of Abram, it shows itself in him hearing the command to go and leave behind all these things, so he goes, as the Lord had said, because he believed God. And so we have the call to go in verse 1. And beginning in verse 2, we have the call, uh, that he is called to be blessed. Look at the beginning of verse 2, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. The call is to go, and here we have uh, the fact that he is called to be blessed. I will make of you, old man with an old wife and you have no children, I will make of you a great nation. So a couple things are required in order to be a nation. You have to have a place to be a nation. You have to have people. Abraham doesn't have either one right now. He's being told, go, and I will give you the place. And then he's being told, I will also give you the people to be a nation. Which for an old couple, him being 75 years old, her about 65, that's a, that's a strong promise. That would, that would cause you to scratch your head a little bit. 
How, Lord, are you going to fulfill that thing? Right? To be, a, to be a nation, and not just to be a nation, which requires land that he doesn't have and requires children that he doesn't have, but to be a great nation. God says, I'm going to send you there, and I'm going to make you not just a nation, but a great nation. You won't just have some people in your nation. You will have a lot of people in your nation, and there are more and more promises as we read through the rest of Genesis about how uh, populous the nation is going to be, how numerous the offspring are going to be, like the stars of heaven. If you can count the, the sand and the seashore, that, that's, that's the same luck you're going to have counting your offspring. You're going to be a great and populous, a great nation. But it seems to go more than just numbers. It's not just a great as in number, but it seems to be also morally great. There's a greatness that goes beyond just the census. There's a moral greatness that seems to be implied in this promise that He will make of Him a great nation. There will be a moral superiority, something new, something better. And of course, as you think forward through the history of Israel, you saw that very often that, that played itself out poorly at certain times, but they had the law as the core. They had, they had God's very instructions, God's very presence, God's very redemption that would cause them to be a nation that was unusual in comparison to the surrounding nations. They had different standards. They understood what God wanted. They had it spelled out for them in writing. They had a temple where they went and worshiped the one true God. And so there was something different about this nation. It would be a great nation, populous, but also great in influence, great in superiority in so many ways. Though, of course, as you read the Old Testament and even into the New Testament, you can see that that superiority sometimes was more real on paper, more real in hope, more real in prophecy than it really was real in practice. But nevertheless, they would be a great nation. And so, God says to him, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you. I, says God, will bless you. I will add my benefit, my blessing, my approval, my provision to you, and I will bless you. And that would show itself in crops at times. It would show, show itself in military victories at times. It would show itself in, in, uh, in having lots of children at times. It would show itself in, in their flocks and their herds and, and other kinds of benefit. It would show itself in their influence in the world that, that, that uh, foreign nations would come to them to ask advice. You think of the, the, the Queen of Sheba who comes and visits. She wants to sit at the feet of Solomon to learn of him. Why is that? Well, because he's like the pinnacle of this blessing. He's the this source of wisdom that comes from God, and she wants to access that. So you see this very great influence. God says, I will bless you. God will focus His grace on them in such a way that they will be protected and provided for, have certain privileges of being God's chosen people. God is going to bless them. And He says, I will make your name great. So that here we are thousands of years later talking about Abram, talking about this promise that God made to him, that, that his influence would be great. And of course, we don't just read about Abram or Abraham as his name will be changed to in the Old Testament. We read about it a lot in the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament and we see that Abraham is, is considered to be the father of the faith, the father of the faithful, those who believe. Abraham, we have Abraham for our father that it's a wonderful and blessed thing to, to, for it to be said of you that you have the faith of Abraham. His name would be great. He would be that famous in his character. So God has placed His favor on uh, Abram in a special way that will result in great and special blessing on this unique man and his family. So He has called to be blessed, and thirdly, He has been called to bless. As we finish Verse 2, so that, right, he says in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. That's not the end of the deal. 
as if, as if that's all there is, if the, as if that's the fulfillment of the purpose. We have the purpose statement given at the end there of verse 2 in the so that clause. What's the purpose? Why am I doing this? Well, it's not just because I wanted to pile blessing on you and then you be like a, like a, like a cul-de-sac with no end. Like it just goes in and, and you can't, doesn't come out. It's not just for the purpose of blessing Abram or even just blessing Abraham and his family or even their offspring or even their nation. The purpose isn't only to bless them as if they are to be the end recipient. There is a purpose for that, and it is so that, so that you will be a blessing. The blessing that God is pouring out so graciously on Abram and his family, on, on, on the nation of Israel, that the blessing is meant for a purpose, and it's not just to pile it up in one people, it's to be dispensed. It's so that they can be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families families of the earth will be blessed. The blessing isn't just poured here to be piled here. It's poured here so that it will be dispensed to every family on the earth. So it's by the means of Abram and his family. It's by the means of this great nation that He will bless all. So we have uh, the purpose being given. God is intending to dispense grace and blessing, redemption and salvation far and wide, not just just to a, a particular family, not just to a particular group. He does dispense it there, but it's for the purpose of being dispensed everywhere. It's a greater, it's a, a, a broader purpose that's going to end up going to all the families of the earth. And so here we are, thousands of years later, and we're the ones who benefit from this blessing. And few of us are Jewish. Most of us are from all manner of backgrounds, from all different families, and we have received this blessing. And so you see God's plan coming to fruition And one way that that's going to happen, one way that God is going to do that is by how other people relate to Abram and relate to his family. He says, I will bless those who bless you, right? So those who bless Abram and his descendants, those who bless the the family that we're seeing develop here in Genesis and the nation we're going to see develop in the book of Exodus, those who bless them will receive blessing from God in return. And the one who dishonors will be cursed. Now, I, I want to notice just quickly in passing that that word dishonor is a gentler term than curse. It says, the one who blesses you, I will bless. Okay, those, that, that's parallel. The one who blesses you, I will bless. And then he says, the one who simply dishonors you, I will curse. He's watching out for his children. God cares for his children, and and a slight against them results in a cursing upon the person who brought that slight. And I think we can pause here and just think about ourselves for a second in in regard to this, that, that we as Christians, we as God's children, we don't always see this. We might see it with the eyes of faith. We don't always see it play out. But God has such great concern for His children that a slight against us will be sharply rewarded, that He cares for us that much, that He protects us to that extent. Now, we go through the suffering, and we might be greatly slighted, and we might be, uh, we might be cursed by others, and we might be mistreated by others, and we might be killed by others. But God, in watching this situation, though He has the power to protect us from a slight, though He has the power to protect us from a curse, and though He certainly has the power to protect us from being put to death, He doesn't always do that. Yet He cares for us so much and has so much invested in us that even a slight against us is is deserving of a harsh judgment. Now, we we don't go around wanting people to be judged. We don't go around 
you know, thinking about the fact that, you know, we were insulted this week and, and uh, you know, someone uh, did something bad to us this week or, or someone we love or what. We don't, we don't in, in, our, in our best moments, we don't wish judgment on them. We do when we're weak. We do when we're being selfish. But nevertheless, that person deserves a very great judgment. But we have been called to be a blessing. We've been called to be a blessing to that person. And we have opportunity when there's been a wrong done to us. We don't have to execute that judgment. We don't have to pray that God would execute that judgment. We can bring grace and mercy to that person who has wronged us. That's hard to do. It's maybe a little bit easier to think about sitting here all together because we're kind of keeping each other accountable, right? And you can't, you can't have that grimace on your face of that person that you really would just rather stick it to, right? Because we're all together. But we can take the grace of the gospel to that very person who has insulted us, that very person that, that if, if, we, if we were honest, we're very tempted to hate. And we can bring grace to them. We have been called to be a blessing, to bless others. We have that opportunity and we have that freedom. I'm going off script and that's always dangerous, but I think about sometimes we have a, a uh, we joke in our household about having a, a strong justice meter, right? You know what that is. You may not have heard that phrase before, but you know what it is. When injustice is done, especially to someone you love, ooh, right? Just, just, yeah, the mom, all, every mom knows this, right? Their child has been wronged and they're ready to take out the knives, right? We have a strong justice meter, right? And we have this opportunity. We have an understanding that though justice may literally never be done on this earth, God knows what He's doing. And God knows better than always to give justice. Because if you and I were to receive the justice that we deserve, we wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't be the recipients of grace. Grace is an exception to justice. Grace is when God decides to give you favor, though you deserve, if justice were served, to be judged. And here we sit, and we Many of us have a very strong justice meter, and perhaps uh, we would like to see justice be done upon that person or that situation. But folks, you and I know something better. You and I know something greater than that. We can leave that to God. We can leave that to God. And we can trust Him that He will make it right in the end, and that either that person will pay before God, they will render justice, or they will receive the mercy of Christ where Jesus paid that penalty for them. So you and I don't have to be dispensers of justice, not, not in any kind of ultimate sense. We're not, we're not looking to hunt people down or anything at all like that, but sometimes we would really just love to see God stick to them. We'd love to see them uh, get what's due them. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. We can trust the Lord with those things. We can trust the Lord that even if this person never gets justice and they, and they find grace in Christ, that is a glorious and a wonderful thing. So one way that God is going to bless this nation is that those who Bless, blesses him, he will bless, and those who dishonor this nation, God himself will curse. And we see that play out in the rest of Genesis with Pharaoh and Abimelech and, and other people throughout the book of Genesis. But, but there's a, a greater and a more particularly uh, important to us point. The ultimate determination of blessing or cursing from God is not contingent upon how one treats Abraham's offspring generally but what one does with his capital O offspring. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, now the promises were made to Abram, or to Abraham, 
and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. What we do with Christ will determine whether we are ultimately blessed or cursed. And so that promise of blessing wasn't just given to this family at this time, but it finds its culmination in Jesus Himself. And so when you and I read verse 3, and we read about, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse, we, we think about the ultimate offspring, Jesus Himself, and our relationship to Christ. What will we do with Christ? Will we believe Him? Will we honor Him? Or will we curse Him? Will we dishonor Him? And He's that ultimate offspring. He's the one that would, this would be pointing towards. And the Old Testament takes us towards. And in the New Testament, He comes on the scene. And He is the true seed of Abraham. He's the one in whom are found these promises, these blessings of Abraham found in Christ Himself. And of course, Jesus was rejected in His day, as He's so often rejected in our day, but nevertheless, He walked in obedience to God, He Himself being the righteous one. And then He went to the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of everyone who would trust in Him, that that penalty would be paid in full. And so by faith in Christ, that's the way we honor Him, is by trusting Him. By faith in Christ, we find that His righteousness is credited to us, and we have forgiveness of our sins. And so when we read verse 3, and it talks about those who bless Him and, and those who dishonor Him and where the blessing goes and where the cursing goes, that very blessing can be yours. That very blessing is yours if you trust in Christ. If you know Him, if you are rightly related to Him, if you believe in Him, that's how we honor Him, then we receive that very blessing. And so it's not just about historical events. It's not just about something that happened uh, all these thousands of years ago. It's about something that can happen right now today, something that is here in our midst and in our time. When we think about the story of Abraham, we look back and we see that that he was called, and he was blessed, and he is to be a blessing to others. Well, folks, that's the same for us today. The call goes to you today to follow him, to believe him, to go where he says go, to trust Christ. And in that, we can't even quantify the blessing. The blessing of, of having your sins forgiven. The blessings of having God's righteous standard met on your behalf. The blessings of going from a place where you were at enmity with God to being His child, having His very name placed on you, where you are at peace with God, where you, you go from a place where you were spiritually dead to being made alive in Christ so that we have life instead of death. We have peace instead of hostility. We have His name instead of our own record. That's the blessing that is yours by faith in Christ. And so the call is the same for us as it was for Him. And we are to be blessed and we are to be a blessing to those around us. This is the next step that maybe we don't always think about. I tend to think about myself as the recipient of blessing, and that's so wonderful, and I kind of, you know, revel in it and, and whatnot, and, and good. We should do that. But it is by means of the salvation of sinners that God brings about the salvation of other sinners, that the gospel goes to more people. It goes to our family. It goes to our neighbors. It goes to our world through us. And you and I not only are the recipients of this blessing if we are in Christ, 
We are the means by which God brings others to Himself, the means by which God dispenses grace to yet more sinners just like us. And that's an, that's an opportunity that we have, and it's a calling. It's, 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 not, um, it, it's not sheer duty as if, as if this is just what you must do, but it's blessing as well mixed in there that we have been called for this purpose to be blessed ourselves and to dispense blessing to others. And we have that opportunity. And we have that opportunity today. We are going to serve the Lord's Supper. And so if I could have the men who will be serving come up front. We've not done this in some time, so I'm not sure if, I'm not sure if I remember how. <laughs> This is something that we as Christians do. We are remembering the elements point us to Christ, point us to this very story that we've talked about today, not the Abraham story, but Jesus and what He's accomplished. That's what the elements point us towards. And so what we do today, this is for Christians to celebrate the salvation that they have in Christ. And so if you're someone who doesn't know Christ, just, just let the elements pass and then come ask, uh, ask me a question or ask us questions about why we're doing this, about how to know Christ. Let those elements pass. And, and, and Christian, this is a time for us that we pause and we think about why it is that we need a Redeemer, why it is that we need a Savior. It's because we can't redeem ourselves. It's because we can't save ourselves. It's because we ourselves are guilty of sin, and not just, not just long ago, once upon a time, but we sin even now. And this is an opportunity for us to think about our sin and confess it to God. We're not going to confess it out loud, and you know, that's not always appropriate. Sometimes that's very important and very appropriate. But we're going to confess our sin to God, recognizing once again that I, I have I have sin in my life, and laying it before Christ, confessing our sin as sin, asking forgiveness, knowing that in Christ we will have that sin washed away. We will have it cleansed from us, and we will then rejoice all the more in Jesus, our Savior, who forgives sinners like me even now. And so I, I don't have to bear that weight of sin anymore. I don't have to bear that on my conscience anymore. It's, it's paid for by Christ. And so, as we go through this process, Christian, take some time and confess your own sin and your own need for redemption, your own need for uh, forgiveness of Christ. Even as Christians, we have our sin that must be dealt with. And then as we're doing that, as we're confessing our sin, as we're laying it at the feet of Jesus... We have an opportunity to, to experience the joy of knowing that through faith our sins are paid for. That the ones we, we walked in here with, we don't have to walk out with. So let's take, take time in uh, prayer as we're going through this process to do those things. And so first of all, we come to the bread. Men, if you would take up the bread, please. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Let's pray. Father, we pause at this point in our service. thinking about our own need for forgiveness of sins. 
We recognize that we have sinned against you in thought and word and deed and things that we have done and said and thought and not done and said and thought that we should have. And so, Father, we confess those to you. And we're reminded of the body of Christ given for us, sacrifice made on our behalf at the expense of His own life to pay that penalty, to pay that debt that we owed. And so as we contemplate the bread, we contemplate the body of Christ given for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is an opportunity for you as the bread is being passed. Take a piece for yourself and hold on to it. We will partake together at the end. Confess your sins to the Lord. And rejoice, rejoice in the full payment that we have for those sins in Christ. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we come to the cup. People take the cup. Paul continues, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Father, we contemplate the cup, the new covenant in the blood of Christ, 
where you create life in us. You make us alive from the heart to you. You credit to us the righteousness of Christ where you make us your very own people by faith alone. And that's by the blood of Christ and what he has done for us. So, Father, as we contemplate this cup, we rejoice and we thank you and we we praise you and we praise Jesus for this life, this new life with Christ we have in him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we hold in our hands the cup pointing us to the shed blood of Christ who purchased redemption for us, establishing the new covenant in His blood. And we rejoice and we thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. If you have faith in Jesus Christ and have come in repentance, then by virtue of Christ's death, which we've just celebrated, your sins are forgiven. Praise God. We're going to uh, close with a a hymn as uh, we have time. I actually was done on time. So let us sing a hymn together. I want to conclude us, though, with these words from 2 Corinthians chapter 13 leading to that song. And now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, both now and from this day forward and forevermore. Amen and amen.
And also a reminder, uh, being the Communion Sunday, for benevolence giving, if you'd like to do that, you can put that in the box or in the, the plate in the foyer, the love offering plate there. It's a great way to minister to our, our body of believers here and uh, for those that come from our community. So We have a Redeemer, Jesus. Let's stand and sing. God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Have a great day. God bless you.